0: Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers and having real and honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm CJ and this week I'm joined by Charlie Condor. Hi friends. Stuart Hall. Here. And Chinway Williams.
1: Hi everyone.
0: And uh, this week I'm especially excited about this group here because we do have Chinway and Hooray
2: Chinway. for Chinway. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was good Stuart. I like yeah. that. I
0: run. And uh, Chen Wei is actually Dr. Chen Wei oh, Williams. Oh, sorry.
3: ready for Dr. <laughs> Chen Wei!
0: <laughs> and uh, she's with us today to discuss uh, this topic, and I'm especially excited because Chen Wei is not only a doctor, but a nationally certified counselor, a licensed professional counselor, and she her expertise is in trauma recovery, enhancing resilience, and adolescent development. Is that is that all correct? Perfect. You got it all. All right. We got yeah. it. We got it. Yeah. And uh, today on Rethinking Youth Ministry, we're discussing how to care for students who have been abused? Uh, now, before we get into this week's discussion, yes. Chenwei, can you tell us a little bit more about you, other than the fact that you're <laughs> you have more letters beyond <laughs> your name than I have in and my a name? a beautiful, intimidating presence. The table. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Alphabet can, soup of Can letters. you guys hear the intimidation? In <laughs> exactly. voice a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I am uh, a wife. I'm a wife of ten years. Married to my husband ten years. Um, I'm I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, and I have two boys seven of okay. uh, a seven year old, Braden, and a three year old, Noah. I had to think about it. He just turned three. And I just love talking about topics that are hard to talk about. And so I do that a lot in my work as a, an associate professor at Argus University. I train counselors. I train students who want to be counselors. And wow. I also have a, a private practice where I work with adolescents, young adults, and I work with um, adult beings who just want to be better. So,
2: Wow. Yeah. wow. Stuart, what did you do this week? (laughs) Actually, I was hearing that going, can I come talk to you? (laughs) Can I be one of those adults that want to be better? You said it, young adults, and I'm like, ah, I can't go. And then she said, adults that want to be better. (laughs)
0: Right, right, right. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about yourself. We are really grateful that you uh, set aside some time to join us today. And today on the podcast, we are discussing how to care for students who have been abused. Now, Before we jump into the conversation, Charlie, I would love to just jump into your experience. So how much uh how much of this topic, you know, child abuse, student abuse, teen abuse, how much did you see this in your years in youth ministry?
3: I think if you've been in youth ministry for even six months, you've probably ran across this. You've had a student come into your office or a small group leader walk in your door and they've encountered this with someone in their ministry. Yeah. I also feel as youth pastors that we're kind of blindsided by it because we're not prepared always to have those conversations. Totally. And it's the fearful, what do we do next moments?
0: Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. As, as I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking that just that, the, the word blindside. Like, yeah. I feel like this is probably something for a lot of youth leaders and student pastors. It's not something you think about until you have to think about it. right? And it's not something you become informed about until you have to become informed about it. And that's what I love about this podcast is that this is an opportunity for us not to be reactive, but proactive. Um, And that's why we're talking about this uh, today. Now, before we get into it, I did do a little bit of research just to you know, give us an idea of really what uh, we're talking about this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I pulled up some stats. And according to the Department of Health and Human Resources, uh, there were 4.1 million child mistreatment mm-hmm. referral reports in 2016, uh, covering 7.4 million kids and teenagers. So 7.4 million, and uh, 3.5 million of those actually received prevention and post response services. Mm-hmm. Now, I assume that means Chen Wei that there was action actually taken out of those seven and a half million, Mm -hmm. half of those, there was actually something that had to be done.
1: Absolutely. Some sort of intervention was necessary. You
2: know, what's scary about that stat is that, uh, Barna reports that generation Z is anywhere from 69 to 70 million Mm -hmm, people. mm -hmm. And you're talking about 7 million children. Yeah, That's astounding when you think about it. Yeah. That percentage. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: When you put, when you, put that into that percentage in that context. That's, that's probably more surprising than I think most of us would think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course those stats kind of break down like uh, into the different types of abuse, which we'll get into, but breaking that down, there's neglect, mm-hmm. there's physical abuse, there's sexual abuse, and there's a psychological maltreatment. Mm -hmm. And then one last stat that I I pulled up from childhelp.org said that 80% of 21-year-olds today who reported child abuse met the criteria for at least one psychological disorder. And I really think that's what we're talking about this week too is, okay, there was something that happened or maybe is happening and Now they go through middle school, they get through high school, and now you have these 21-year-olds, and 80% of those who have faced Mm -hmm. something like this Mm -hmm. in their past are struggling or dealing with something now. And you can just jump in. CJ,
1: I think that's a really important stat that you bring up, and it's actually quite staggering. That's the word that always comes to mind, Mm -hmm. especially when you think about... child abuse, particularly sexual abuse, is largely underreported, especially among males. So as high as those stats are, it's probably higher. So that's kind of wild, right?
0: And that's what I kept reading too, is that everything basic, every stat had an asterisk because it's like... (laughs) We most of this, or a lot of it, yeah. goes completely unreported.
1: Uh, completely unreported. And we, we can talk about um, some of those reasons, but I also wanted to mention what you talked about in terms of childhood abuse leading mm-hmm. to, unfortunately, a diagnosis, a significant mental health diagnosis. So there was a really, really important study, probably about five years ago, called the ACE study, and so that's a big deal in my field. Mm-hmm. It looked at. Adults who had had some form of abuse, child abuse, neglect, excuse me, physical abuse, neglect, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. And so they reported, yes, these things happened to me. It was Mm. 77,000 adults. A significant number of those adults are now experiencing not just mental health issues or Mm. emotional challenges. They're also experiencing physical health issues. So Mm. ulcers higher incidences of uh, asthma, heart issues, frequent headaches. So the long-term impact of abuse Mm -hmm. is is significant. So I I was really glad to hear that you researched that. Can
2: I ask this question for all of our listeners and especially us around the table? When we say abuse, Mm -hmm. what is the standard? Yes. Yes. How how do we define abuse? Yep. Yeah. Great question.
1: That's an excellent question. So abuse, especially child abuse, which is sort of the way that we're framing our discussion today, is actions or inactions on the part of parents, caregivers, adults in that child's life that significantly causes harm or increases the risk of harm. Okay. So that's so that's abuse. And so but Stuart, I love that you asked that question because sometimes parents will ask me, is a spanking abuse? Right. Well no. A spanking is not necessarily abuse, but if it inflicts enough harm, pain, if it's done consistently and the child isn't getting it's not reaching the results that you as a parent want to reach, mm-hmm. it's something to look at. So mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Part of the reason I asked that question is I think about I'm older than Mm -hmm. everyone around the table. (laughs) The way that I was raised as compared to the way my wife and I have raised our children and the standard that is set, Mm -hmm. some could see as abuse. And then you also compare that to—I think that there are a lot of listeners that begin to go, well, that's just just the way I was raised. I don't see that as abusive— I don't ask that question by any stretch to excuse abuse. Sure, sure. But I do think it's important for youth leaders and adults that are listening to this to properly define it. Mm-hmm. Because if yes. we don't properly define it, maybe that's yes. one reason why what Charlie was saying—we yes. don't realize it's happening.
3: Well, and, and I'd love to interject because I've had a lot of students, probably over the last fifteen years, that being raised by grandparents, mm-hmm. and that level of abuse is exactly what you're talking about. Where when you bring the family in to have a conversation, the grandparents and the student expectation is so different of what abuse is, mm-hmm. only because of the generational difference,
2: right? Right, so it's yes. that generational difference is probably more to what... It- uh,
3: absolutely, and context
1: matters, right. and so socially, uh, actions on the part of parents to try to get their toddlers to behave were acceptable Mm -hmm. 15, 20, 30 years ago that are now, in some cases, teachers and uh, ministry leaders are looking at it like, I'm not so sure that that's okay because generationally things shift and change and we are considering uh, things probably as abusive or questionable that weren't the case at all years Mm. before. Some of it has to do with research. (laughs) So those Mm -hmm. children are now adults and saying, you know what? That really didn't yield the outcome that my parents wanted it to yield. So it's not that parents are intentional in all cases, but it's also something that we have to have a conversation about. Right.
0: So, I mean, we're talking a little bit about the the discipline side of you mm-hmm. know m- m- defining it in that those terms mm-hmm. maybe abuse from parents, mm-hmm. but um, before we get to the students that we want to care for, mm-hmm. who else in your experience is inflicting the abuse? upon kids and teenagers that are walking into our ministry environments? Is it primarily parents in your experience? Is it, Mm -hmm. where is this coming from?
1: Yeah. uh, Research suggests that primarily it's someone that's close to the child. So it could be a parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be a cousin. And there is a such thing as peer-to-peer abuse as well Mm -hmm. that does occur. But it's usually someone that has close access to the child.
0: And Charlie, just jumping into your experience, I know you said toward the beginning of this uh, episode that you have faced this in your ministry environments in the past. And I mean, if you're willing to share, so what did, what, what did you see and face?
3: I think a lot of it goes back to grandparents who are raising their grandkids. Right. So that's an issue. And that's in my own house Mm because our foster daughter was raised by a grandparent who was abusive, but that word abusive is defined very differently. And so that was impacted in a lot of conversations Mm -hmm. and I really want to go back to the boys. Mm -hmm. You would be really surprised how many boys sat on my couch who were angry or had behavior Mm -hmm. problems. And then when you sit knee to knee and eye to eye with them Mm -hmm. and just kind of talk to them and unpack things, it's just crazy what falls out of them. Mm -hmm. Sorry. It kind of makes me emotional. (laughs) It's an emotional topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I cry all the time on this podcast. So join the the
3: party. We can just all cry a little bit today, but you know, Mm -hmm. it is when you see a, like a middle school boy who's Mm -hmm. so aggressive and Mm his behavior is so crazy Mm -hmm. and erratic. Mm -hmm. And then you begin to have conversations with him and you're like treading water that you don't get. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't understand what happens Mm -hmm. in these situations and you're in a panic. Right. Mm -hmm. Because then all of a sudden you face his parents, That's going to be a really hard phone call. And now I'm going to have to report it. And they're probably never going to come back to church again. And I really need to spend some time with these kids. And I know Mm -hmm. praying is great, but sometimes it doesn't feel like enough. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just like suffocating sometimes, I think, Mm -hmm. as a youth pastor, because you don't have answers.
0: And Mm -hmm. like you you kind of pointed out there, you're almost in a a bit of a lose lose situation there you either yes. let mm-hmm. you either don't say anything right in that moment because you want to keep the kid coming right. to church so that you can continue to serve and minister to him or you know you report or you call the parents or mm-hmm. something like that and now they're they're not in your church anymore and they're... You know, and you, you risk know, never
3: seeing them again right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. because you've mm-hmm. angered everybody in that situation. Well, Doctor,
2: is it safe to say that part of the reason why we are mm-hmm. hearing so many stories mm-hmm. of people in young adulthood mm-hmm. and older mm-hmm. begin to share things that happened to them when they were younger, mm-hmm. is it because it's usually someone that was close to them?
1: Oh yes, absolutely.
2: And that's part of why they fear?
1: Oh can yes. you Can
2: you speak to that?
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, So what I want to share with you is there's a topic or a concept in psychology called attachment theory. And so I'm going to break it all the way down because you don't want to fall asleep like (laughs) some of my students, right? Um, Attachment is simply just the sense of belonging, the sense of safety and security that a young, young person has with their primary caregiver. And so if your primary caregiver... To your point, Stuart, withdraws love, attention, care, food, anything, you're going to freak out. Mm -hmm. And if you think about prehistoric times, when you veer away from the pack, you die. Mm-hmm. You die. So it starts at a very young age, that sense of attachment to your primary care- caregiver, but it continues all the way to adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there's a lot of fear, even with people who are successful adults, able to pay their own bills, but they've experienced abuse and they don't want to talk about it because having in any sort of... Um, uh, discord with mm. that family member still brings up some confusing and difficult emotions so it's hard to talk about wow
0: so when one of those students a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old who's been abused yes. walks into our environments mm-hmm. kind of diving into that even more so what what are they carrying mentally emotionally even physically i guess that that other students aren't help us understand what mm-hmm. their They're carrying in that moment?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So let me put it this way In homes where students have not experienced abuse, ideally, and not that parents are perfect, right? Ideally, presumably, those students have a great deal of love. They experience a great deal of comfort. They have nurturing. Not that. Both mom and dad are going to be consistently that way all the time because we're human, right? And
2: and idiots. And stressed out
1: and (laughs) broke or whatever. There's so many reasons. And don't know
2: what we're doing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So many reasons my parents fall short of the ideal, right? But if students are experiencing that on a somewhat consistent basis, they turn out pretty much okay but for students like you're mentioning the 12 year old the 16 year old that comes from an abusive home environment or a home environment where there's a lot of family conflict they're going to experience just the opposite they're going to experience a lot of fear They're going to experience a lot of instability and confusion. And so when you ask about just the difference, think about that. So the fight or flight or freeze response is your body's way of saying there's a threat that's approaching you. So we know through neurobiological research, brain research, that children who've been abused are always sort of like, on edge, They're ready mm. for that next threat, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you can kind of see that in mentally, emotionally, teachers see it show up cognitively um, or academically. Are those
2: three things good things for youth leaders to remember? Yeah. You said fight, flight, or freeze?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's basically your body's alarm system. It's a stress response that your brain It's just signals. on that higher alert. Oh, yes. that signals in your nervous system. And you guys can, you know, we feel like we're yeah. walking in the... The dark and the like empty parking lot. Right <laughs> <room>. <laughs> what Let's have what I gotten doing. myself into? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, but that's right. That's, that's exactly right. But it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy, mental energy, physical energy, to always be on high alert. And that's what I notice when I work with students who've been abused. Mm. So it, there's a difference.
3: Mm. But what about the 19, 20 year old youth pastor that we have conversations mm. with all the time? Who probably have never had any experience at all. Like, how do we equip that person in their first week of ministry, six months of ministry? Because all the stats show they're probably going to see a student. But how do we equip them to even know what the fight, <laughs> flight, or freeze is? Right, like
1: and what, to yeah.
2: and to pile on that same nineteen, twenty-year-old youth leader mm-hmm. is trying to. Recruit adult volunteers, right?
3: yeah,
2: uh, and so it multiplies tenfold.
3: He, that youth pastor probably mm-hmm. has to fight, flight, or freeze <laughs> right. happening. Oh, absolutely. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, but I do think about the younger youth pastors, and mm-hmm. we do have a lot of turnover in ministry. So, I just think mm-hmm. if we could better equip mm-hmm. our friends in ministry, how do we do that? I mean.
1: Yeah. I think part of it is having the discussion that we are having today. Um, Mm -hmm. I love that uh, Orange um, XP3 is leading this discussion. I think um, we don't have these types of discussions around hard topics enough and so even letting the 18 19 year old youth ministry leader know that you know these things come up not only for because statistics show us that a lot of children have been abused right so it's not just happening out there it's happening In your small group and it could also be happening with your peers Mm, and so just be aware of how to take care of yourself and i'm really big on self-care and we can talk about that at some point how to ground yourself how to not feel like you have to always do things perfect and you have to figure things out right away and also let them know where they can get support
0: yeah i think as we're going through this conversation getting back to what you were saying uh, there, Charlie. About what do, you know. What do we do? And I, I, I don't think we're going to get to the end of this conversation and say, okay, here are your three application mm-hmm. points. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But I think as we go, we can pause and and distill what Chen Wei is saying uh, into something that we can take away. So, like going back to what you were saying about the 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 fight, flight, or mm-hmm. freeze mm-hmm. thing. You know, I think that nineteen or twenty year old student pastor can be on the lookout for some of those things, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you know and I guess, and then going back to what you're saying, Chen Wei, mm-hmm. okay, it's just that awareness that, okay, that, right. that kid, who that yes. 12-year-old who's looks like he's always on edge. My first instinct mm-hmm. in my small group is to say, you know, he's going crazy. I've got to, I've got to discipline him more and like get him under control.
1: <laughs> right. And
0: it's never it's that more. the, the, it's never the, okay, I need to think through what's going on here. That's it. And okay, it could be, it could be, a, it, it yeah. could be a number of things. And that's one, this is one of them, but that's rarely, I think a lot of, and speaking for myself, that's rarely my first thought is, okay, what's going on that, you know, what, what do I need to find out what's going on in this kid's life that's yeah. either, you know, uh, pushing him to act this way? Yes. It could really just be he's a 12 year old boy and this is how they act. But it could also be there's something else there's going something
1: on. There's something else going on. Absolutely. And just some of the things that um, our younger youth ministers or leaders can look for is just, we call them behavioral indicators. So it, it falls into really like three main categories physical indicators of abuse, some form of abuse. Behavioral indi- indicators, and then the other one is just or both. Right? What, are, what are what are some of the
2: behavioral <laughs> yeah. indicators? Yes. I would assume physical are mark markings, perfect
1: scars, burns, unexplained injuries or accidents. And, and so again, you want to be careful because I have a three year old. He's accident pro, sure. right? He's within the socks in the kitchen, and we're like Noah, what are you doing? Like you've fallen three times. Thank God he hasn't had any major injuries. Right. But I wouldn't want right. anybody calling. You know. Sure. D- facts on me, right? Because right. He, he's got bruises. So we want to be really careful about single indicators. Right. What we're talking about is multiple indicators of abuse over time. And so Stuart, to answer your question, behavioral indicators. If you have a youth that is very inconsistent and even attending. Now that could be they're going back and forth, mom and dad or you know, Mm -hmm. their custody issues there, not a big deal, Um, something to pay attention to. The other behavioral indicator is just more knowledge, this has to do with like sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. more knowledge about sex that that is really um, appropriate for their developmental stage. Mm -hmm. Now there's a a caveat for that because (laughs) we live in the age of the (laughs) internet Porn, you look yeah. up an animal, children love animals, and you get a pornographic site, right? Sure. So it's kind of scary. and so exp- th- th- our students are much more exposed than ever before to sex and sexual content. But if they're talking about it a lot, right. um especially yeah. the younger the younger <laughs> students twelve, thirteen, that's considered an indicator.
0: Yeah, and if they're, I would guess, and you correct me, but like if they're talking about it and l- they're almost more comfortable talking about mm-hmm. it, you know, like I've got, mm-hmm. I, I I work with middle school guys, yes, and like you know they know some things, but yes. they're also like there's a there's an innocence about what they know, there's a and, giggly right. sort of
1: yeah, And so there's like <laughs> or a different gross like, right right so there's a
0: different there's I would assume that there's a different level of knowledge there too, yes. a different way that they treat that knowledge
1: that they're even expressing it with right. The, like right in a what very a, mature what about
2: a young lady or young man who like buttons up in small group, they get mm-hmm. isolated or mm-hmm. th- like, I think this is a constant tension. Mm-hmm. Are they seeking attention by isolating themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or is that a sign?
1: Yeah, could be both, right? It could be both. It's something to always pay attention to. You know, when I go and do site visits at schools with some of my uh, students who are, Working in schools as therapists, mm. you know, they say, Oh, well, Dr. Williams, this came up and I'm really concerned. I just say, Pay attention. So, yeah, if you have a child or a student who is withdrawing more quiet than usual, it's something to pay attention to. But again, we don't necessarily want to say that this person is being abused but multiple indicators over time increases the possibility that there could be something going on.
0: Mm. So you said behavioral indicators mm-hmm. like markings, burns, mm-hmm. injuries, mm-hmm. maybe there are inconsistent attendance, more mm-hmm. knowledge about sexual things than, than is normal or appropriate, isolation, withdrawal. Is there anything else, any other yeah, behavioral Yeah, something indicators? else that we
1: look at is when... Children or students are wearing uh, clothes that are inappropriate for the season. So what's commonly seen is uh, long sleeves, jackets, full-on bubble jackets in the dead of summer. It's like, what, what's going on here? Um, for me, my clinical population, I, that puts me on high alert to okay. even look mm. for self harm, okay. which could also be a sign of depression, which could be linked to some some form of abuse or neglect, right? Wow. Not always, yeah. but sometimes. But... In the case of physical abuse, right? Parents might be okay. We're trying. We have to. I, I, I went too far, and we have to cover this mm-hmm. up because I don't want to mm-hmm. get in trouble, especially mm-hmm. with younger students. Wow.
0: Ooh. Well, okay. Well, this is great so far. These behavioral indicators, and if you're listening, you're like, okay. I, I just let's get to some practical stuff. What do I need to do? Well, we're going to get there. But Chen Wei, I just have to keep asking, just because I don't want to leave leave these stones unturned. But are sure. there other behavioral indicators that we need to be on the lookout for? before we get more practical, what we do, what we don't do, that kind of a thing?
1: Yeah. Um, one that's coming to mind is just frequent absence, not just from small group activities, but from school. And so you'll probably, as a as a youth leader, you'll probably hear from parents because that's something that's really concerning and that's an issue for the schools, right? So the schools are really on top of um, attendance issues. So that is shown in the research as, as a behavioral indicator of uh, possible abuse. Mm, okay. Yeah. And just also, uh, Stuart mentioned it earlier, just any sort of behavior that seems or signals a shift from their typical pattern of behavior from their personality, Mood shifts, starting to hang out with friends or different friend groups like every other week. Again, some of that is related to just normal development of teenagers, right? Because they're trying to find out who they are. The whole thing is about who am I? Um, So they could be exploring different friend groups, but it could also be just a sign of um, where do where do I find some safety? And and I really don't want someone to get to know me too well and ask me certain questions.
0: So you you piece some of these behaviors indicators together. And okay, now we have, there, there might be something going on. And yeah. that's a great place for any student pastor, small group leader, youth leader to start is like, okay, we've got to be aware of these signs. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, no question about it. And what I love about the conversation, as intense and alarming as it is, is that we're really pushing into why it's so important for you to be relationally connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it is impossible for you to see signs in kids if you're so programmatic and not yeah. relational. You can't see them from the stage. You can't see them from the stage. Yep. There's two things you can't do with a microphone. Yeah. And one of those things is you can't listen. And they can't see, the, they can't see your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, all the more reason why we've got to be relationally connected in our ministries. Absolutely. All right, so so Chen Wei,
0: as we dive down a little bit deeper here, so we're kind of talking about behavioral indicators on a, a, you know at a broader scale. But yeah. are there any? Is there anything more specific when it comes to middle school and high school uh, that we need to be on the lookout for? If someone's listening and they work specifically with middle schoolers or specifically with high schoolers, and there may not be. Right? Yeah, well, ask.
1: one thing that's coming up for me right now as it relates to younger adolescents is if you notice that your student doesn't seem to have a whole lot of supervision um, if they're able to stay at home for long periods of time because parents are going on trips or work trips or le- you know trips for leisure, if other people are dropping them off for small group activities mm-hmm. as opposed to their parents, like that wouldn't be so unusual for a mm-hmm. 17-year-old student, right? right? But for a 12-year-old student that has a lot of supervision, um, that could be really, really dangerous. Right. Um, and
2: w- which is an interesting concept because we, ne- we tend to not think of neglect Yes. Right, as abuse.
1: Oh my gosh. But
2: you're almost talking about white collar abuse. Yes.
1: Yes. So I'm here to break it all down Do and it. just say that um in my opinion neglect is one of the most harmful types of mm-hmm. Abuse there is. Um, I Why is see that? a lot of adults that want to get better, right? And a lot, and successful adults, wonderful parents, great in their respective careers, but they have this childhood wounding that they're struggling with, and it shows up in relationships. It shows up sometimes at work. It shows up in their relationships with their kids, and it's a real issue because sometimes they'll say, you know, you know, Chen Wei or Dr. Williams. I don't know where this comes from. My parents were great. I had resources, I went to the best private schools, I had access to a lot of wonderful things such as vacations, I had a nice car. My parents were amazing. But when um, we dig in just a little bit deeper, I noticed just tons of signs of neglect and it's something that they did not think about in a million years and so it's important I think for listeners to understand that abuse and trauma isn't so isn't always about what's done to you it's also about what you didn't receive as a young person mm. Mm.
2: and how can you unpack that a little bit more like, what does that look like in yeah. the life of a kid?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about sort of um, there are a few C's, I can't remember if there's three, four or five, I, right, can, I can look F's that we have three F's and up. now we're going to C's. <laughs> um, you know what, let me go to the A's. Okay, I'm oh, okay, sorry, we're so going many, to A's. There's so many, C's there's C's so outside. many in my world. <laughs> yeah. um, those are let's your say, grades, Stuart, in school right now. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we could have stuck with F's. <laughs> so let's go with three, I can look that up later so the 3 a's that i believe are critical for child development is attention, acknowledgement and affection across across developmental stages, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you had a parent, and usually we think of fathers as providers, right? If you had a parent that was working, that was putting food on the table, that paying the bills, providing for awesome vacations, you might not think of that as Mm -hmm. neglect. Mm -hmm. But if they're also not there for your baseball games, if they miss parent-teacher conferences consistently, if you don't get picked up, I can't tell you how many memories come up. I do a lot of trauma yeah. work. Memories... Consistently come up around. I was left after after my basketball practice for hours, and I just sort of hid around the corner because I didn't even want my coach to see me out there again, waiting for my mom wow. or my dad. So, not getting something that children need—affection, attention—hey, I see you. Mm-hmm. I notice that you're there. Can actually lead to uh, shame. It could also lead to feelings of inferiority and feelings of inadequateness. I'm not. Good enough. Now, what's interesting on the other side of that, the adults can look like superstars. Mm-hmm. They can be very successful in their respective fields, but it's like they're chasing that um, attention, that wow. acknowledgement. Can so it's kind that. of a cool thing. We should do a podcast just on that.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would. <laughs> because I do hear stories of like that, that very thing from mm-hmm. teenagers to the extent like, teenagers saying I can't be involved in this because my parents are doing this right and so the only only time I have for extracurricular or anything is when like they a, say I have yeah. time yes it's like a permissible. Form of abuse, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, and you going
0: back to what you said though a few minutes ago. You said this. This. I don't know if you use the word worse or not, but like to Mm -hmm. you that in your experience, this is worse. Or it's 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 one of the
1: most harmful. I think sexual sexual abuse has the has more long term impacts, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of across Mm -hmm. a lot of settings, but neglect is sort of interesting because it leads to that sense of. Complacency sometimes it leads to that sense of something is gnawing at me. I feel anxious all the time, mm-hmm. but I can't. I cannot pinpoint what it is, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't, and I and I do work with a lot of um, young people who come from homes that are, are well resourced, right? Mm-hmm. Privileged, high income, and I work with middle class as well. But my high income students often say, "Well, it's not like I grew up in the hood. Mm-hmm. It's not right. like." You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't have both parents at home with me, you know, Mm -hmm. and so they're like, I don't know why I'm feeling sad and depressed and anxious all the time. And so we have that conversation about, okay, well, you got some things, but some things you didn't get. Mm -hmm. Wow. I had a student
3: one time call me and asked me if they could walk to Walmart. And I was like, well, how far is that from your house? And why do you need to walk to Walmart? And she's like, well, my mom's gone. And I was like, okay, she's just at work. Well, I'm not really sure. And so I went and picked up the student, and I just brought him to my house and fed her lunch. Her mom hadn't been home for three days. Mm, Wow. And there was no end in sight as to when the mom would be home because she wasn't answering her phone. Mm. But when you say that as abuse, that, like, didn't register with me at Mm. first because Mm. I thought, well, maybe she thinks she's old enough to stay home alone. Right. Which I think if you're in middle school, you're not old enough to stay home alone for days on end. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe right. not even hours on right. end. Right? right, it depends on the middle school. Right. Yeah, but being aware of things like that and being able to talk to students because that doesn't come up as much, I don't think. Right, is what we're talking about. Yeah.
0: yeah. So what did you what did you do in that situation, Charles? Took her to Walmart.
3: <laughs> I did take her to Walmart and I fed her lunch. Um, she stayed at her house, and then really? when she yeah. her mom finally came home, the conversation then turned because I had to report the mom right mm-hmm. because I was like wow you left this kid home for four plus days mm-hmm. wow. and and that's not okay mm-hmm. and to come to find out it was a regular occurrence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: so wow yeah, yeah. And, and it's so like this entire conversation is so complex yes. it really is because I keep thinking about that quote of be careful how you treat Mm -hmm. others because everybody's fighting Mm -hmm. a battle everybody's Mm -hmm. fighting a so and Mm -hmm. that includes parents Mm -hmm. uh so i like i want to extend grace to whatever this lady's story is because Mm -hmm. there's a reason there's a reason yeah but But at the same time i'm responsible for the emotional physical and mental welfare of this child yes and
0: I just, I, and I'm thinking about it from the, I, I just can't imagine how much, and, and maybe you had a tremendous relationship with that kid, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine how much mm-hmm. it, I would have to feel neglected or whatever to, to call my youth pastor and say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this or I need help here, that kind of a thing. Like how many of those students right. are in that situation that just haven't built up the courage yet right. to... Text
2: somebody. But they did call you and ask if I can go to Walmart,
0: right? right. Which
2: is almost a cry for help, oh, right? Yeah. That, and yeah, and that's what I'm. Am, like, am I right, Doctor Williams?
1: <laughs> You're absolutely <Yeah>. right, Stuart. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. I know that's important because students don't always directly say that I need help directly right. say that this is what's happening in my home or in mm-hmm. my neighborhood or with my grandparents, but they let us know through other indirect means. And so I agree with you that that was like, hey, pay attention to me. Something's not quite right.
2: And I know this isn't story time, but I had breakfast <laughs> I had breakfast yesterday morning with a dear friend who told me a story about uh, one of his friend's son was being bullied at school. Mm-hmm. And so the dad said, "I want to know who the kid is because I'm going to go and have a conversation with the kid's <laughs> kid and the kid's dad." So he goes with his son to confront the bully, and he says to the bully, "Where's your dad?" And the kid goes, "I'm homeless." Mm-hmm. And so the guy decides, "Well, I'm going to mentor you." Yeah. So there's wow. there's always a reason why. Yeah. But it makes it complex because. Children yeah. are the residue of the why Absolutely. I guess. Absolutely.
1: That's a great story to Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: obviously we're talking about specifically uh, it sounds like we have a lot more podcast uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's make it a two parter. Like a... But with the parents and then you know all, all of these things. Yeah. But so you know pulling back to okay what do we do about the students in our ministries who mm-hmm. need to be cared for because they have uh, they are currently being abused or they have been abused. What is our goal or what needs to be our goal or our focus when we find out, okay, this student has been abused or mm-hmm. is being abused?
1: Yeah. So uh, the goal should always be, I am a trusted adult. I'm a trusted adult and you are important to me. That's that's the thing.
0: Okay. Uh-huh. To communicate that. Is to
1: communicate that. So um, I do want to speak a little bit about the importance of social support study after study after study suggests that it's not always the event that leaves a scar, it's how someone responds to the event, right? And so sharing is really important when a student is able to share either directly or indirectly that they need help, Um, that's so important, but it's actually more important how the youth pastor, or ministry leader responds. And so um and I can talk about it now or if you want me to talk about it, it let's l- get, a little bit let's later. Get into it. Okay, so um, there's a whole kind of guideline or protocol around how individuals, adults, should handle disclosure. So when a child says, I am being harmed in some way, I'm being abused,
0: or, or they thing. have been abused, is it so? Is it past and present? Past
1: and present, yeah. Now, what we do in terms of like immediately makes a difference if it's currently occurring, right? Mm -hmm. And also some other factors. Um, But if let's say it's happening right now, Mm -hmm. how does a a youth pastor respond? The first is with managing your own emotions. So I kind of want to like emphasize that Mm -hmm. because again, we're human. Some of us are broken. Some of us have experienced abuse as leaders, right? In the church or, Mm -hmm. or wherever we are serving. And so these disclosures can actually emotionally impact, and Charlie, you were tearing up a little bit just talking about your experience, right? So we're, we're human, and um, you want to be able to acknowledge that you're feeling whatever you're feeling, shock, right, um, worry, for the child, anxiety. If it has to do with sexual assault, a lot of times uh, youth pastors are feeling repulsion Mm because sometimes they get Mm -hmm. to hear details that they wish they hadn't heard, Mm -hmm. and a sense of protectiveness. So who goes into this type of work, right? Without feeling love and affection and protectiveness towards children. So when you hear something, you want to acknowledge that you're feeling all sorts of things, but you don't wanna express it outwardly.
2: So it's, it's a swan on the lake.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's exactly you, right. It's a great uh, mental image. That really
1: yeah. that really
2: is. Yeah, you, that, I mean, you're paddling under, underneath. Underneath everything is going that's crazy, you but you know, have to yeah. maintain regalness up up top. Do you know
1: what I call that in my practice?
2: I, I can't wait to hear it.
1: A duck, but I'm gonna move to a swan because swan. it's just yeah. prettier. It is, yeah, it's just pretty. <laughs> Maybe the duck can be for like certain right, clients, right? right? right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm I much more that. like a duck, but I was trying to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're trying to be a yeah. elegant, um, but yeah, that's exactly if, yeah, right. As a ministry leader, you know which of your small group leaders are swans <laughs> exactly,
1: and ducks. like the the most yeah. important insight from today, <laughs> yeah, or a right, swan, right. or a duck, yeah. but
0: but, mm-hmm. th- and what we're saying here is really th- what you know. You'll have to rewind and listen to the the past couple of minutes there. But what Chen Wei just unpacked mm-hmm. is really what you need to. Our response should be as ministry mm-hmm. leaders, mm-hmm. and should be the response of our small group leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we have to communicate this. Like okay, swan mm-hmm. on the lake. Mm-hmm. You know this is this is your reaction Mm -hmm. whenever Mm -hmm. something like this comes up, past or present. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and and it's important, and I'll tell you why. Because if you accidentally (laughs) change your expression to shock, right, and it could be shocking, for sure, but if you have a sense of shock or anything that could be perceived as disbelief, that actually mm. perpetuates a, a feelings of shame and guilt, and could yeah. definitely shut the student down from making any further disclosures.
0: That disbelief thing, I think, I mean, I feel like that's key. That's big because it, when, especially when it comes to the things like, well, we, we've spent a good bit of time talking about the neglect side of things. Like, I feel like that would be. It would be so easy. And again, going back to what Stuart said, it's, it's a tension to manage, I guess, because you want to have grace for the parents, but also you're face-to-face with this kid, you know, the student. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. But like, okay, if something comes up and it's an issue of neglect, it would be so easy to dismiss it. Mm-hmm. and
2: right. uh, Discount and it, it. Yeah. yeah. And, and we are, let's be fair, too. Yeah. We are recording this only weeks yes. past a time in our country's history where... Yes empathy and Mm -hmm, those kind mm -hmm. of things came into question to the Mm -hmm. nth degree. Oh, yes. And I would assume, Dr. Williams, that we'll probably experience Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. backlash of that for Mm -hmm. years to come. Oh, yes. And are to some degree.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's hit our nation um, hard and there's a lot, obviously a lot of division, right? Mm -hmm. And, And people are sort of seeing the experience through their own lens, right? They're seeing the event through their own experience and some people are not believing that things occurred and other people are like, of course this happened. Um, and so empathy is huge. And that's why I say we always lead with, you are important because if you're leading with you as a student, you're important to me, then whether or not I believe shouldn't even factor in, Mm, it's about me being present for you. That's great.
2: That's great. Is this a good place? I'm, I'm a little fearful and here's what I'm fearful of, because we are diving into such important, this isn't important, it's critical Mm -hmm. what Dr. Williams is Mm -hmm. talking about, but I don't want us to assume that every youth leader and church represented that are listening Mm -hmm. have systems in place Mm -hmm. where you are doing background checks on your small group leaders, Mm -hmm. and you have a process and a protocol for when there are issues of abuse that are brought to your attention mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything but watch the movie spotlight mm-hmm. to realize what has happen- mm-hmm. happened happened mm-hmm. pandemically mm-hmm in the organized church Mm -hmm. for us to understand that this is so critical. If you are a youth leader listening and there is not a process in place Mm -hmm. for you to do background checks Mm -hmm. on the people that are working with your teenagers, Mm -hmm. it is one thing for a student (laughs) to have enough courage to admit something. It's a completely different thing for a a lack of oversight for you to be creating the chaos and you don't even realize it. Right. I just felt like I needed to interject that. I'm sorry. Carry on. Yeah.
1: No, it's important.
0: Yeah. I mean, and to that point though, I mean, that is part of this conversation and, mm-hmm. and to an extent it's also, a, you know, a, maybe a whole different episode as well. It's like, okay, how do we, mm-hmm. how do we, protect our own students Mm -hmm. from what's going on in our church at Mm -hmm. times, right? Because Mm -hmm. we don't always have the right systems in place and the right protocols in place to ensure that, you know, that everything is, uh, uh, that things are taken care of,
2: you know? I Uh, just had this thought. Yeah, yeah. The last thing you want is a child Mm -hmm. coming forward to a small group leader, Mm -hmm. and you haven't even done Mm -hmm. your homework on the small group leader. Mm Um. And it, I mean, this to me, it's very, very simple. If a small group leader is unwilling to do a background background mm-hmm. check, mm-hmm. it's probably a good sign that you don't need that small group leader. Yeah. So you talk, are you talking about the
0: small group leader creating more damage because they didn't react in the right way, or something going
2: on in the church that's adding to the? No, abuse? I was speaking specifically to the fact to back up mm-hmm. way past, mm-hmm. bef- way before. Uh, the conversation that Dr. Williams is mm-hmm. talking about when someone has come to a small group leader, mm-hmm. we just have to, as churches, make sure that yeah. we've done our due yes. diligence and have processes in place to make sure that the men and women who are working with teenagers are above reproach, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are people of integrity. Yeah. They don't have some sort of criminal background. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. All of us have issues, but right. that at the very least needs to happen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
3: I've served in a church where we would have all our small group leaders do background checks, but because the budget was so tight, only X number could actually be ran. Wow! Hmm. Can you imagine what that backlash would be like? Because we thought we've, and as a youth leader, I didn't know that that wasn't happening because I turned it into the people that needed to go to. And then all of a sudden, um, we've not crossed all of our T's. Holy cow. Right. Right. Yeah. Prioritize budgets, friends.
2: Yeah. yeah, and if that's they great. only have enough money mm-hmm. to have X amount of small group leaders mm-hmm. to checked, then we're going to. That's have some, the only right. number of small group right. leaders we're gonna have you need. Larger to small groups. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: yeah. And I got to tell you, I, I serve as a volunteer um, in the guest services department of my church, um, large church, and I got a background check just because I would occasionally walk new families by the kids environment. So I'm, I'm, I don't interact with the children at all. Hmm. Um, unless they come and ask me a question or a first sticker. So I, yeah, I'm not a leader, but they ask me for a background check. So
2: good job. Your church. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But you're right. Not all churches have, have the budget, have the mechanism, the desire. So it's a, it's important point.
0: Yeah. We have to prioritize that. And again, mm-hmm. this is just part of that. Okay, this is another thing. We've got an application point we'll pull out of this yeah, conversation. Yeah. But to keep our conversation um, going here, you, so you were saying the very first thing mm-hmm. uh, that uh, we do as ministry leaders or we encourage our small group mm-hmm. leaders to do when mm-hmm. they find out abuse has occurred, uh, what, what's, the, what's the 2.0 step? What's the next step they need to take, whether it's reporting or what, whatever that looks like?
1: Okay, I do want to mention. Can yeah. I say a couple more things Absol- about oh, this yeah, disclosure? Let's, let's yeah. Do it. So the first thing is managing your own reaction because mm-hmm. we're all human; we're going to have some reaction. The second thing is not having a blaming response. So you want to have a non-blaming response. So again, avoiding any sort of belief or disbelief. You're just there for the child or for the student, and also letting them know this was really brave of you. So encouraging Mm -hmm. them, um, supporting the fact that they disclose because it's not, trust me, the the statistics that we mentioned, it's far underreported because it's hard to share those types of things. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece that I think is important for youth pastors, ministry leaders to know is that when you're interacting with the child or the student, you don't want to make promises you can't keep. Mm -hmm. So you can say something like, I want to be there for you, um, and I'm going to support you the best way that I know how, but we want to avoid saying anything like, we're going to keep this confidential or right. you can tell me more, I'm not gonna tell anybody. And, and you wanna sort of lean in and make them feel comfortable, but that's something that I wouldn't do because the fact remains, and this is sort of a legal uh, discussion that a discussion point that I think it's gonna be important for every all of the listeners to just make sure that they understand the laws in their respective states. Uh, but from where I'm from, the state of Georgia, anyone that works with youth is considered a mandated reporter. Mm. And should I explain what that means? Yes, please. Yeah. A mandated reporter is obligated to notify authorities whenever they hear or even suspect abuse. So in, in some cases, within 24 hours. Mm. 24 hours. And so that applies not just for therapists, not just for school teachers and principals, but also for ministry leaders.
2: Mm. And, and volunteer small group leaders. Yes, yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: And also, if you're not in my state, um, you can actually do a simple Google search, just uh, asking Google who is a mandated, mandated reporter in my state. That's great.
3: Well, and I would also maybe check with your church's denomination because mm-hmm. I know I'm, I'm Methodist, and so we have a safe sanctuaries policy. And so through that policy, it requires us to be mandated reporters as well. Yes. So it may not just be your state, but that's it could exactly be your denomination. Right.
1: Yeah, yes. That's great. Yeah, it could be an organizational. It
2: looks as if USA.gov has information on where you can find out. Awesome. If Look, at you're oh, on, Look at that On the
0: spot, Look at just
1: filling that, that Stuart. up for us, Stuart.
0: That's very why. impressive. That, that is very impressive. <laughs> now back to Dr. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> this so week so with good. Dr. Williams. Um, well, so all of all of our conversation up to this point has kind of surrounded. Okay, we found out that something was going on. Um, you know, maybe the student uh, brought up something, or maybe we maybe we noticed something, and so we approached the student. But honestly, I feel like going back to the whole. So much of this goes unreported. So much of this goes unseen, unheard. My question for all of us is what do we need to be communicating from the stage? What do we need to be communicating and projecting as small group leaders to encourage those uh, students who have faced this to feel like we're safe
2: enough to talk about this with and to open up? I think you just said a word that is important for all of us to wrestle with, and that's the word safe. Yes. I think... Churches and youth ministries specifically have to determine how safe do we want to be. The reality is that middle school and high school students across our country have to, Dr. Brene Brown calls it armoring up. They have to armor up to leave home, go to school, sometimes just to be physically protected. Yes. But they have to have a place. Yes. Whether it's in the school, but in our specific instance, in our churches, they have to have a place where they can let their armor down and be themselves and be and feel safe. So the first and foremost, the question that we have to beg ourselves to answer is how safe do we want to be? Are we do we want to be a, a place our our leader Chef does an incredible talk, has done it. And it'd be great for you to listen to it. Um, he did it at Orange Conference this past year. About this idea of we can be as a a safe place where a kid can talk about cheating on a test and Mm -hmm. that's as safe as they feel or they can report abuse. Mm -hmm. Right. But you're not as safe as you want to be. You're as you're only as safe as the stories students have been brave enough to share. That's great. That is what how you can determine how safe you are. So. So how do you become, how do you become safe
0: then? Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, Charlie, I would lo- I mean, mm-hmm. you have, obviously you've had students who have shared stuff with you. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, I don't know if you have shared stuff from stage or in the context of just relationships with students that you have become a safe person, but clearly you have. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear what you've got to say. And then, you know, Chen Wei, what would, what do you know that students need Surely. to hear as well? But
3: I think it just goes back to being relational. And letting kids know that you're there for them. And that doesn't happen from a stage or behind a microphone. That happens yeah. with face-to-face conversations, knowing the kids' names, where they're from. And I think just being a person that shows up. So at the lunches, it's your cafeteria to your football games. Just to be a person they know who knows them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And free shuttles to Walmart. Right. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I think uh, it can't happen from a stage or from a mic in terms of the relationship building aspect of it. But what can happen is, hey, this is something that we're going to discuss. And so that can happen from a pulpit. That can happen from a stage. That can happen in a small group. Just not shying away from the hard topics. And I think churches do... um, uh, grief really, really, really well, right? And in some cases, I feel ill-equipped when I have a client who sig- suffered a significant loss. I have the training, um, but oftentimes I'm uh, partnering up with mm-hmm. with their church and their and their small group um, leader. However, I think that there's a place for churches to and ministries to be leaders in in this topic that we're discussing abuse. And so, mm-hmm. even just saying, "Hey, these are the prevalence rates." Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are the statistics. It's on the rise, yeah. just like we do with bullying, right?
2: right? Let's right. just
1: it, just acknowledge it from the stage. Because if I'm a student that's sitting among hundreds of other students and I hear someone mention it and I'm going through it, that's like a little window of hope. Like, mm-hmm. wow, I may not talk to my youth pastor the next day, but maybe in a month from now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think, CJ, that there are some things that we can do from the platform Or not do. Yeah. Yeah. To make it personal. When I speak, I tend to have a bit of an edge. And I readily admit that. Is that on purpose? uh, Not on purpose. I'm excitable. Mm -hmm. I come across as like an energetic coach to some degree. And I have to be careful in this day and age Mm -hmm. that. To a kid who is constantly being ridiculed at home, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be the guy that gets through that kid to that kid unless I communicate in a way that's much more compassionate. Wow. Yeah. I would also add that's, co- that's very ri- self aware.
1: I was just going to say that. Like that, well, that's very re- self aware. I want
2: to be able to communicate to that kid, but I also am aware enough, and that's the beauty, by the way, of having people around you yeah. that co- you've got to be willing to take. Mm-hmm. constructive to criticism. To receive it, yeah. Um, but if you're the guy that's like, I'm going to get up and preach and I'm going to snort, rip, you're probably going to have a difficult time with kids that are a bit more sensitive. And s- I'm not that way.
3: I, I, I'm very relational when I'm speaking and right. I share stories from my past, right, which is riddled with things that I feel like other kids are dealing with.
2: Right, yeah. right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. right. And both... Both styles are needed. can be effective, absolutely. but you also need to understand, you know, how your style. The other thing I was going to mention, and this is this may be very trivial, but I've seen it way too many times to the student ministry uh, worship leader mm-hmm. who gets frustrated because every kid in the room doesn't raise their hands during worship mm. or they're sitting on the back wall. Mm-hmm. Perhaps there's a reason why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And instead of you berating them Because they're not apart That may be a In the words of the angels At the birth of Jesus Let this be a sign unto you
1: yeah. <laughs> Good <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs>
2: Um, you know what I'm saying? Interesting but, reference, but.
3: <laughs> but Christmas is coming.
1: So, yeah, that's
2: yes. right. Christmas
3: is coming. But maybe we should put that down as one of the markers, though, because that needs to be a teaching moment yeah. for the youth mm-hmm. pastor to have with the worship leader, too. Yes. Correct, correct.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. And it infiltrates all the way the small group leader who gets frustrated because not everybody's participating in discussion, yeah, discussion. which is where
0: I was coming from earlier. Right. Like I lead a small group of middle school guys, and like it is so easy to. Uh, to dismiss the students who are zoning out and yeah. the, to dismiss the students who are acting up as right. just students who are zoning out and acting up uh-huh. and never, uh, and never educating yourself enough to the point where you you, you can see through some of that right. and, uh, and be compassionate in the midst of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's right. great. Yeah. And I think, I mean, my next question is, and it's probably more obvious because we've been talking about it you know kind of throughout but like what what do we need to make sure we don't say what do we need to make sure that we avoid doing or saying from stage and in small group and I've kind of shared my thoughts as far as what we need to not do and say in small group but Mm -hmm. um, is there anything specifically we need to okay we've got to avoid this
3: I would like to say that as youth pastors, we are that we are youth workers. We are not trained counselors. Yes. We yeah. are not um, a that's Dr. So Williams. We need to be able to move our kids to the people they need to see and be with. Yeah. And it's not us. We love them well mm-hmm. and that's really great, mm-hmm. but we need to be able to move them onto a professional. So
0: don't be their counselor. It mm-hmm. uh, like, you know. I mean, that's great though. Yeah,
3: we mm-hmm. were, but I'm not a trained counselor. And Mm -hmm. more times than not, I will say the wrong thing. And even though I'm really great with students and knowing who they are, I need to move them out right. to someone who is trained in so those areas. Good. Yeah.
2: Most of us need to tap out at the calm <laughs> swan point.
3: Amen. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I
1: mean?
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: That's
0: a, that's Be a, a swan and then swim to shore. That's <laughs>
1: yes. a really, really good point. I'm so glad you brought that up, Charlie, because when a student feels comfortable enough disclosing to a small group leader or a youth pastor, um, that's like a big deal, mm-hmm. right? And so usually the ministry leader feels honored. And sometimes what mm-hmm. happens, I've heard what happens is that they encourage, more details even beyond what the student was initially willing to share wow, and yeah. then it's like okay I'm in the swamp. Yeah. right? Not in the lake with the swan oh, right. but I'm in the swamp and I've got all of this stuff coming at me and I'm not trained I don't feel equipped to know what to do next so that's a great Well now point. and then
0: that, that kid has to not only share with you but now mm-hmm. when they actually do get to yeah. the professional help that they need they've got to go through all of that again. Over again yeah, yeah. absolutely. CJ
2: I counseled uh, One of the churches where I served, I had a conversation with a young man on a Friday who killed himself on a Monday, and Mm. it still haunts me, but the smart thing that I did without even being smart was that I had already referred him to a professional. Wow and it's the that's one great. thing that allows me to live with it somewhat mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because right. he he was seeing this professional mm-hmm. and he wanted he mm-hmm. really wanted to come and thank me mm-hmm. and to just kind of catch me up on what was going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's why what Charlie is saying is so important we yeah. don't know what to say
1: yeah yeah and
2: right. kids are deeply deeply hurting
1: absolutely and and uh, youth ministers and small group leaders can offer to Um, help out with trying to find a counseling referral.
3: Yeah. I think every youth pastor and every youth worker in America should have in their top desk drawer. Here's a list of counselors Mm -hmm. that are great with students Mm -hmm. who are great in certain traumas Mm -hmm. and should have that resource readily available to hand out to parents and to students alike. Uh, Yeah, Charlie, that's a really good point.
1: So um, in addition to what small group leaders should say and should be, which is supportive and reassuring. Um, I think it's really important that if you do know of a student that's experiencing some form of abuse, some form of abuse that you want to sort of like maintain normal sort of contact and and just do what you would normally do in the small group, because that small group environment offers a lot of security and stability. Mm -hmm. And so something that um, youth pastors or small group leaders should probably avoid is making that individual sort of stand out. Mm -hmm. And so even being overly empathetic can do that, right? And I have a tendency to sort of, oh, you okay? Like you don't want to do that because they're going to be hypersensitive. Give them more
0: special attention.
1: Absolutely. You want to maintain the Students' normal status within the group because, so especially as a teenager, they don't really want to stand out for that
0: reason. Yeah, so, just wanted great. to mention Good. that. Well, we could keep talking about this for hours, and I know that we've already talked about this for <laughs> a while, but uh, clearly we have more work to do here and more conversations that we need to have, and we will. But as we wrap up today's conversation, any final thoughts, any practical you know, takeaway, any last words
2: that we want to share
0: as we conclude this conversation? One thing
2: in my research and I'm uh, anal about that kind of stuff when I find out we're having a discussion that I found very interesting is that if any case with an adolescent becomes legal, Mm -hmm. in other words, the oppressor is identified and legal action is taken, Mm -hmm. there's so much data that suggests that you can't lose focus on the victim. Mm -hmm. That what winds up happening is that witch hunt is a bad word, but Mm -hmm. for a lack of a better term, there becomes so much attention on the oppressor and justice that the victim is kind of forgotten. So if that winds up happening, make sure that you continue to give the attention needed to the victim. That's super great.
0: Yeah,
1: I'd love the dovetail on that. I think that's super important because that speaks to part of the reason why uh, victims or survivors don't don't come out right they're watching and they're paying attention uber attention to what happens when other people disclose their abuse right Mm -hmm. and so they're gonna feel like they're forgotten or they're not gonna be believed and so my last point has to do with the disclosure again which i think is so important because that's that that initial contact that place where I'm being vulnerable as a student and I want my youth minister, my small group leader to meet me where I am. You always want to convey that you are there for them and that you want to reassure that they did the right thing and Mm -hmm. that they shouldn't blame themselves, to Stuart's point. They shouldn't blame themselves for what happened Mm -hmm. and then try to make things right with the perpetrator, even if it's a family member.
0: Wow. That's great. Charlie, do you have anything? or uh, And maybe I would even... Make you know if you've got a final takeaway that's more specific to what do you think the thirty-two-year-old youth pastor in Topeka, Kansas, what do they need to do this why week? Why Topeka?
3: I, I was just in Kansas on tour last <laughs> oh, week. So see, maybe that's go. why good call. I think it's really important for youth workers to train their small group leaders. That yeah. needs to be part of their, you know, every semester training, mm-hmm. bring that back up train them to be aware and how to have those conversations and how to listen to students well. Mm. And then um, I think I just want to go back to that list yeah. of that professionals. So Don't wait until you have a student on your couch. Make sure you have mm. that list ready mm. and you've done the research and make sure that they're counselors that work with students and um, can handle their situations. So That's
2: so great. Charlie, thank you for being a youth leader that will take kids to Walmart. And I mean that sincerely. Oh. <laughs> I think that's one of <laughs> Absolutely. your greatest qualities is how much you care. Ever since I've known you when you were actually in the trenches, yeah. you, that's so good.
1: Thank you. Um, I want to share a national abuse hotline. It's the national child abuse hotline. It's a 24-hour hotline with resources that's going to help with every single child abuse situation. So neglect, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, all calls are confidential. And the phone number is one 800 4 Child 1 800 4 A child and it's 1 800
0: And that's the first number on your list that goes into yep. the desk drawer that uh, Charlie was talking about. Well. This has been a great conversation. Chen Wei, special thanks to you oh, for joining us for this. Thank you so much, Chen Wei. Uh, thank you for uh, that having was, me. This was super helpful, super valuable, and I look forward to having you back again soon. We, we've got to do this again. And thank you for listening to the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. If you have a friend or a fellow youth worker who came to mind as you were listening to this episode who might benefit from hearing this conversation... Uh, we would encourage you to pass this conversation along to them. And the best way to do that is to send them to RethinkingYM.org. And the conversation doesn't stop here. If you've got thoughts or questions or uh, other things that you want to bring up, you can join the conversation by visiting our Facebook group and you can find a link to our Facebook group in our show notes. Again, RethinkingYM.org. And until next time, thanks for listening.